Hello, friends, and welcome to Bantering the Blue Shirts Off the Post. And Tom, I was a bad boy, Tom. Oh, no. I forgot to read the patrons on the flagship show, and it's one of those things I realized pretty much the moment when we wrapped up the uh, the flagship. So I'm going to start by just reading our wonderful patrons now at the top of our Off the Post show, and I'll just blame, again, I'll just blame this on Joe. This is all Joe's fault. Yeah. Um, thank you, especially, thank you everyone who listens, by the way, especially in the middle of August. I don't know what you're doing listening to a Rangers po- podcast, but, you know, God bless you. Um, thank you especially, though, to Adam Nahoek, Aiden Gaspar, Alex Gardner, Armiel Kistner, Andre Chicagov, Anthony Viola, Arch Williams, Bob Kawa, Bobby Callahan, Chris Baby, Chris Lucas, Chris O'Connor, CJ Vivola, I like that name. I just sent you some stickers, CJ Vivola. Uh, Craig Lachlan, Dan Carosi, Dan Zappor, Daniel DeJan, Danny Santiago, David L. Singer, Eric Cohn, Eric Carlson, Fancy Lawrence. I just sent him some stickers, Tom. Uh, Gabriel Vargas, George Littman, Igor Zaslavsky, James Dangles, Jeffrey Stein, Jermaine Francis, John Pritzpelski, John Reppy, Johnny Allo, Jordan Sassone, Joshua Zarkin, Keith Franchillo, Manny from SC, Matt from Brooklyn, Mediogre, again, that name keeps me awake at night. I want to know why is that ogre meaty? Is he covered in meat? Is he a butcher, maybe? It's also another way of saying mediocre. Mediogre? Well, Tom, I didn't even think of that. That's why we keep you around. That's why I pay you the big bucks. Michael good for Panic, something. Michael Marcus, Michael Scott, um, probably more intelligent than... I know you're more intelligent than The Office is, Michael Scott. I'll tell you that, Michael Scott. Michael Silvers, Mike Offit, ra- wrapping up the team. Mike, again, no no Joes. Joe had to name his own baby Joe to come up with a Joe patron for this podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Panero in 2020, Sammy Vogel-Seidenberg, Stephanie Benvengo, Stink Fleeman, Tall Guy Rob the Tin Man, Thomas Hosa, Toy from Manhattan, Trevor Kempner, and Will from Buffalo. Tom, those people are just a little... I love them a little bit more. Yeah. And there's a Tom among that list, so... There is no a Tom... J- just a Tom, some mics, no Joes. Some mics. It's like nineteen mics. I'll have you know. You watch your mouth to talk about. Well, I'm, mic. I'm, I'm trying to be a little bit nice to Joe, you know. But not really. He's got two, two creatures that have give him unconditional love. He's gonna be fine. Um, Tom, let's start this right off. We're gonna start off with an email question. Um, if slightly prior to the trade deadline, the Rangers are doing unexpectedly well. We're talking a non-fringe playoff team, and assuming Kreider is still on the team, because, again, Chris Kreider hasn't been traded, do you trade Kreider, assuming he is playing very well, from Mike Strum? Tom, so let's say the Rangers are doing better than we expect them to be, um, and it's not only that they're, it's not just that they're like a wildcard team, but let's say, let's just go ahead and say that they're second or third in the Metro. And they're in the playoffs. Do you still trade Chris Kreider, Tom? So, I'm going to answer, and then I'll explain. Okay. My answer my answer would be yes. I would still trade Chris Kreider. And I, I think that if we're still at this point, that he's a Ranger right before the trade deadline, and there's no uh, you know sign of there being an extension... That would be a bad thing from the Rangers' perspective because that would have meant that they are, you know, drawing things out to the very last minute, which is not ideal from a trade perspective. But if the Rangers are in a number two or number three spot, not a fringe playoff contender, that would mean that a lot of other players on the roster would have had to be doing something right. Um, This is not to say that Chris Kreider isn't a very impactful player who has a lot of value, but I feel like in this hypothetical, it means that there's a lot of other players pulling their weight, exceeding expectations where you can um, afford to trade someone that theoretically they have no uh, interest in in bringing back. And the Mm -hmm. reason you do that is that you value the future Stanley Cup runs more, more than this than this like right. aberrant cup run that no one expected and maybe I feel like that's the case here, right? There's a strong case to be made that 
especially if Chris Kreider is having a great season, that would only increase his value. Exactly. Um, and, and it would increase the ret- increase the return you could get for him. Um, and I, I think they're definitely, it's understandable that a lot of fans would be like, well, what the hell are you talking about? Isn't the whole point to get to the playoffs? Because, you know, once you get into the playoffs, anything can happen. And I would say it all depends on the return. And I know that's a terrible answer, Mike, to your question, because it's kind of a cop-out, right? But it depends on what the market is. If a team's willing to give you a first plus mm-hmm. for Chris Kreider, or considering how good next year's draft is, if you can get a first-round pick for Kreider and like a prospect or you know a roster player to help replace him, I would be sorely tempted, even if the Rangers are doing remarkably well, like better than anyone projects them to do, just because of what that represents for the long term. Like the Rangers are not going to win the Cup next year. But nothing says they can't be a cup contender three years from now. And I guess you also could say in that situation, it still does technically leave the door open for them to re-sign him. The only difference it would be is that they wouldn't be able to sign him to an eight-year deal. But I don't think the Rangers would, nor should they, be signing him to an eight-year deal you know, let alone a seven-year deal for that matter. So that's that's just your opinion, Tom. I'm sure Chris Kreider's family wants that for him very badly. Well, yeah, I mean, he deserves that, you know what, security. Tom? That makes you a bad person. Um, moving on to our next question, also of from, course, also from a patron, Bobby Callahan. Hey, I was thinking of all the players who had either taken some type of discount, like Zook and Shankirk, or had been a college free agent, VC Hayes. Understandably, business decisions business decisions as well as other reasons separated these players from the Rangers do you think their willingness to sacrifice these players will impact future college or general free agents in similar situations I think this is a great question from Bobby Tom because it did occur to me that uh, it might not have been a great thing for the Rangers in terms of you know Shattenkirk takes the home town discount blows out his kneecap gets kind of, you know, maybe treated a little unfairly, or even if you could say wasn't treated unfairly in the second season, ended up getting bought out after taking that deal. It can't be good, but my take on this, Tom, is that the the brand and the, and the image of the Rangers is so powerful that I think you'd have to do a lot of work to do damage to something like that. I mean, if you want to go historical on this, yeah. look at you know, Mike Keenan, he delivers the team's first Stanley Cup in, you know, 54 years. And, uh, you know, what happens? He lasts one season. You look at how Neil Smith's tenure ended here. Um, you know, you have all these situations of people, uh, or rather players, performing very well, and you still move on from them. Um, yeah. it's, it's a business, first and foremost. Um, I understand that. You know, if you're a player that signs a team-friendly deal, that you feel that you are owed some loyalty. But I think a lot of these players, you know, deep down, they understand, um, you know, it's a team environment, and you know, they're doing what's best for the team. So it's sometimes you you're sort of limited, and it's yeah, it's some, hard. I'm sure there's some hurt feelings, but at the end of the day, like even a guy like Shattenkirk, you know, he said mm-hmm. he was pissed off. Right, but he's also understandably like, you know so. I can go. I'm going to sign in. He still has an opportunity to sign somewhere and chase the cup. But mm-hmm. you know, maybe maybe it'll dissuade like maybe the next Jimmy VC who comes around. But I don't think it's ever going to dissuade the next Adam Fox, if that makes sense. Right? No, I don't like, think it would. There either. are so many players who want to be a Ranger and want to play in New York that the, it's just something that the Rangers have working in their favor, just like it worked in their favor with uh, you know with Artemi Panarin. It was just mm-hmm. that was it was very hard for other teams to offer that when they just can't offer being the New York Rangers. Tom, more evidence of proof of how good Team Mike is. Uh, Michael Canick, our patron, asked two a couple questions. I'm going to start off with this first one because it's a little fun change of pace for us. He wants to know who's the Ranger you first fell in love with as a kid and why. His Brian Leach uh, as a kid. And as an adult, it was Derek Stepan. I really like both of those. Who was your first Ranger you fell in love with? Who's your first love, Tommy? So, um, it was Mike Richter, and you know the biggest reason was, as a kid, I grew up playing baseball, 
and I uh, I played catcher. I was always, you know, interested in, you know, all the equipment and being involved in like every aspect of the game. So the natural transition was when we would play road hockey. You know, I wanted to be the goalie, and you know. Did you do the thing where you, where you like some catchers today? You, did you paint your fingernails to make it easier for your pitcher, Tom? I did like once. Um, what color did you go with? Is there a certain color you're supposed to go with? I think it's just something that like can stand out from like the dirt, and it probably would contrast, right? Yeah, it was probably whatever like you know, uh, you know, thing my sister was using at the time. So this is my challenge to Major League Baseball: use more fun catcher nail polish. Get it together. Continue, Tom. So yeah, so like with we play road hockey. Um, it was usually it was mostly like just me and my. Um, younger brother or or my dad you know much later years like some of my friends and um you know i had like this old uh like mylek mask that was i think like my 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 dad's and it was um it was a franklin everyone had it and exactly absolute garbage so his mask was um it was like green so like I was like you know I want to change this up so I got some spray paint I sp- you know I got it as close as I could to uh, you know Lady Liberty blue and then uh, we bought some stickers and I tried to make my mask uh, look like Richter's and uh, that was Stand a fun right time. Up. That's damn right adorable. Did he have a favorite as uh, as an adult? Like was there a guy for the second chapter? Um, I mean I it's it's I'm trying to think of where I would sort of draw the yeah. line like as an adult because like um i liked brad richards as a kid growing up and then you know once he became a ranger that was like one of the best things for me um yeah that was like me and rick nash i was a huge rick nash fan and then it became a ranger i was like jackpot but, but if not i were, my pick yeah but if i were to pick someone i would say a ranger like specific ranger you know as a, someone older um i'd say zuccarello just because he was someone yeah. that he uh he overcame a lot and he was you know someone that just really grew with the team and it's someone that you could just sort of relate to my got my ranger as a kid was messier um i grew up you know i'm 33 so i was i think it was eight or nine when they won the cup in 94 and then i had to endure a couple of years of them getting towards the playoffs and then really when i like entered a true understanding of hockey the rangers were absolute dog shit for like a decade and messier was like this fading star in this mm-hmm. dying solar system like all the planets around it had long frozen over there was steve mckenna uh there was sandy mccarthy and there was mark messier and jamie lundmark didn't become what he was supposed to be but mark messier still looked like a goddamn war veteran out there with his you know, the shaved head and the gray stubble on his jawline. And I was like, yeah, Marc Messier. He's my boy. Uh, and I know that I'm not alone in that one. I also had a weird soft spot for Ulf Samuelson, which I can't explain to you. But I know I had, like, a Ulf Samuelson, like, it was a full-page picture from a Sports Illustrated. Probably an article about how much of a just a war criminal he was on the ice. But I had it up in my room. And I wore number five when I played roller hockey as a kid, so... I don't know why that happened, but for some reason I had a soft spot for an absolute, you know, dirtbag of a player, although he's turned into quite a good coach, as it turns out. Um, and as an adult, the Ranger who I have the greatest soft spot for, other than Zuccarello, because I think everyone loves Zuccarello, is Michael Nylander. I think it's been a That's while a good since, one. It's been a while since I sang the praises of Michael Nylander, but I, you know, when the Rangers started getting good again, and of course Lundqvist... Um, Watching Nylander and Yager and Schranke, but especially Nylander for me, was just an absolute joy. And I remember watching what he did in the shootout and watching the way, you know, he influenced play and being like, this guy is in his 30s. Where the hell has he been? Because he was just off my radar um, for so many years. And then I fell in love with him and just started watching old, you know, what he did before he became a Ranger. And you know, Hartford Whalers jersey, Michael Nylander, it was great, but always have a soft spot for him. That was a great question, Michael, thank you. Um, and then you get another one for us, Tom. This, I think, is a really interesting one, especially in light of some of the moves we've seen this offseason and before, uh, really the last two years. His question is, since the rebuild slash build, 
which ranger's departures hurt the most um i i think a lot of people might be tempted to say zuccarello but i'm thinking about which which player the rangers moved on that might have been could have maybe helped the team rebuild um i'm not sure that's the way michael meant it but that's the way it kind of processed in my head the one that that hurt the most in terms of you know it hurt the feelies the most i think is zuccarello the player that the rangers moved that could have maybe maybe played a role a longer term role in the rebuild um i don't know it's tough to say i think some people might say pionk which i would understand because of the potential but i think moving on from jt miller i think was tough uh i think when that trade happened i was surprised he was a part of it and even knowing the contract that he got and all of that and feeling like the rangers probably dodged a bullet there i think jt miller could have been a pretty at the time i thought he could have been a good you know middle six center and uh you know or winger or wherever the hell elaine vigno tried to play him and now you know he's been traded yet again uh you know, he's no longer even on tampa but that was a weird one for me is it zook for you the one that stung the most time um for me it's the, the one that stung the most and it's it's um it's step on because it's whenever i have like you know it's sort of like a, a down day or it's like you're just feeling like in a rut i go back and i watch his series winning goal and it's like sort of just like burning my brain like the commentary it's like off the type it's fair comes over to Yandel, drive by Girardi, rebound, score, and then it's step on, and over time, the Rangers move on to Tampa. And it's just like that emotion, and it's 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 just like so exhilarating because that series, it was so tense where the Rangers are coming from behind. Um, earlier in the series, Kreider scores the game-tying goal. McDonough scores the game-winning goal, and it's another game seven, and it's, you don't want the playoff run to be over and then just Derek step on in the right spot him jumping up in the air towards the boards it's just like it gives you goosebumps um and in many ways like that trade for me it's just like it's tough because he was one of these prospects that um not that he came out of nowhere but he didn't have as much hype um and he was just so good i mean a hat trick in your first nhl game like it's you know that sets a big tone and then everything else he did from from then on out um so a long way of saying uh derek step on for me you know what i feel that i feel like since the step on trade i've come to miss him more and appreciate what he did here more and you know thinking back on what he accomplished especially you know in light of i feel like he got a lot of unfair criticism for a guy who exceeded expectations in many ways right like i'm not sure anyone was really expecting derek stepan to emerge into the first line center he became that's what people hoped he would become but you know the odds were not exactly in his favor uh, yeah. moving on to our, our next question tom from from j mike j mel 83 which would you choose for the rangers tom a the, the rangers are in the position they are now or b panarin signs with cbj or nyi the true betrayed contract still happens. There's no shady buyout, but the Rangers acquire Gusev. So essentially, Panarin doesn't go to the Devils. He's in CBJ or in, or with the Islanders. Instead of the Devils getting Gusev, the Rangers do. There's no shady buyout, and we still have Truba at eight million. So which do you prefer, Tom? S- scenario A or B? Um. That's kind of tough. It is pretty tough. I like the question, though. It makes me sweat. Like, I still think you got to go for the one um, where they get Panarin, because it's like... Panarin's a tough player. I know that some people are not, are not high on, or not as high on Panarin, especially after processing what that cap hit means, but he's a, he's a franchise player. Uh, no offense to Gusev, I think he's a, a very strong player, and he's going to look good in the NHL. He's not a franchise player in, in, in that regard. Of course, you know, you can have, you know, two and a half goose for what you're par- paying Panarin, and 
you can definitely make a case that that's better, especially in the Rangers' case. That means maybe they can just, you know, extend Chris Kreider, or they could have decided, hey, you know what, we are going to re-sign Zuccarello, or they could have taken a different path entirely. But I think this is a tough question to answer without knowing what Gusev becomes. But if I have to answer it right now, I'd say give me give me the road they're on now because of what Panarin is and because of the uncertainty attached to Gusev. And, like, I appreciate the value of the no shaddy buyout. Um, I just think, you know, the Rangers paid all these extra costs for Panarin because he's their next franchise player. And then hopefully they're already in the process of developing their next franchise player with Capo Kaka. We'll have to see. Wouldn't it be nice, Tom, for this team to have two of those guys at once? Like all the other teams in the league have seemed to have? Yeah, it would be really awesome. That would be pretty nice. I certainly think so. Uh, from Dan, is there any interest in an Oscar Lindbergh reunion if they're able to move Stromer Nemesnikov? I don't think there is, Tom. How do you feel about an Oscar Lindbergh reunion? I mean, I feel like that sort of sailed, and I don't know why um, why the Senators would want to do that. Um, you know, I don't have his stats pulled up right now, but I can just sort of remembering that once Lindbergh went over from uh, Vegas to uh, the Senators, he seemed to to play pretty decently. Um, I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't Duclair with the Senators now? I feel like... I think he, he is, yeah. I feel like it was just like all these former Rangers that they... Um, they sort of Lindbergh been... is UFA at the moment. Let's see. Yeah, which is... Oh, he's UFA, so let me see. Let's see. Okay, so Lindbergh last year, he was with the team 20 games. He scored five goals, eight points. Um... And then Duclair was 14 points in 21 games. So maybe it was Duclair I was thinking of that sort of um, yeah, Duclair tore it up. And, and like, I would have... I wanted Duclair. Yeah. I would have I would have said yes to a Duclair reunion. An Oscar Lindbergh reunion? Uh, like, I don't know. You have so like, many centers as it is. You have so many bottom six centers. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. And yeah, it's like... And, uh, and I don't think Lindbergh is necessarily a guy who could be more than that. Maybe he provides... But, like, if you can get him on a dirt-cheap deal, maybe. But the thing is, the Rangers already signed so many of those those fringe guys. And I'm not saying Lindbergh is, has fallen to that right now, but mm-hmm. I think he's... Right now, he's a fourth-line center in the NHL. And, like, the Rangers have an Oscar Lindbergh on the team in some ways, and, and Booney Evas, like... And all things being equal, I'd rather have Bunyevis. Um, even though Lindbergh, like you said, he, you know, I think he had, what is it, 20 points in 55 games last season? That's nothing to sneeze at. Especially for a guy getting his ice time. But, uh, yeah, that's just kind of, that's kind of my take. I think it's, you know, what was it? In the, his only, his first full season with Vegas, which of course is their first season, he had nine goals, two assists in 63 games. Um, you know, with the Rangers, and I liked Oscar Lindbergh as a Ranger. I should make that clear. Like, I thought he was a fun little player. I thought he was an interesting guy in terms of his role in Hartford. Um, you know, he had a really great year in Hartford. I think in 2014-15, and it was looking like, oh yeah, the Rangers might have got something here. And I think there that might be something worth at least scratching at but i'm not sure the need is there and i think that's what it comes down to right tom like yeah and he's someone who's going to be 28 in october so it's like yeah there's not a hole to fill in terms of what what he could offer to to be right and it's not that like his career is over by any stretch but if you're going to justify bringing in someone else if it's someone that's shown promise and is like 21 or 22 and you're hoping that you have this sort of, you know, diamond in the rough found gold, that's one thing. But at this point, it's like, you know, we still have players that are unsigned, so it's hard to think of bringing someone else in at this point. Yeah. Uh, moving on to the next one, Tom. Do you think Gorton had a plan when he acquired Truba Panarin? Nothing is guaranteed, but wouldn't buying out Strom or taking... Anything for Nemestikov makes sense, even if he strikes out. Those moves don't hurt the Rangers long-term like a buyout from Richard Cologne. Uh, do you think Gordon had a plan in place when he acquired Truba and Panarin? I think he probably did, Tom. 
I think he had a plan, um, and it's for me, it's 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 a difficult question to answer because it's you're looking at a, a multitude of things on on the timeline. Um, the true betrayed was something where they were taking advantage of an opportunity in acquiring him so they obviously had the foresight of that this is what they wanted to do on the defense um the panarin thing i think that they were always interested but they were dead set on what they were going to spend and then like we've brought it up a few times the the vancouver canucks deciding to ultimately buy out um ryan spooner freed up an additional six hundred thousand dollars for the rangers and Panarin's final cap hit ended up being, you know, 11, you know, 0.642. So the fact that that money seemed to get tacked on, um, to me, at least it's, it was a way for them to, uh, sweeten the offer. And that was like, you know, this is our, our final strategy. I think that if anything, Jeff Gordon didn't expect all of the RFAs that are unsigned, um, to remain unsigned. And I think he would have been able to, he thought he would have been able to make some trades, but because teams are so tight to the cap, they um, they weren't able to make moves, and then he had to uh, buy out Shattenkirk. So he had a plan. It didn't go as expected, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think I line up with you there. I think he had a good idea of what he wanted to do, and I think things got a little complicated with negotiating that Truba contract, and you know, I, I don't think he thought everything would fall into place the way it did. Like, you could see he was ready and willing with uh, trading Jimmy VC to create the cap space. And, you know, there was the window to maybe look at something like a Strom buyout or, you know, maybe sell Nemestikov. And maybe that's something he should have, you know, sell him for essentially nothing to create that cap space, which is something I really think the team should have looked into doing instead of... Uh, Instead of trading or instead of buying out Shan Kirk, I mentioned that in a story I wrote for Banter, um, like a couple hours before the Rangers did buy out Shan Kirk. But it is kind of—I feel like it's really hard to have all the pieces fall into place for a plan. And sometimes you end up with, well, now we have Shan Kirk and Fox and Truba and D'Angelo, and I feel like in some ways a team like the Rangers who has so much money says, you know, it, it's we kind of just want to cut ties with Kevin Shattenkirk. Um, it's not an ideal solution, but it, it was a solution that served not only the need to create cap space, but also to put an end to a marriage that didn't go as well as both parties were hoping it would go. And I think that's why we ended up where we did there. Uh, from a patron favorite of mine, Tom, Panera win 2020. Hey, Mike and Joe. Of course, he means Tom. Uh, unless Tom is... Unless you want to raise... Do you want to raise baby Joe, Tom? I mean, I don't really, but yeah, do I. if he but asks for help, you know, honestly, I might. that baby, thank God, it doesn't look anything like Joe. Thank, thank God, it doesn't. Uh, very cute kid, but yeah. So, hey, Mike and Tom, with the additions of Panarin, Truba, and Fox, what do we think the Rangers' final record looks like, and how many points will they finish with this season? Tom, in the Metropolitan Division last year. The Rangers finished with 78 points and a record of 32, 36, and 14. Remember all those overtime and shootout losses, Tom? Jesus H. Christ, 14 of them, Tom? And how it and how it hurt us and our brains, and then the Rangers ended up getting second in the lottery anyway, and everyone was like, oh, you were worrying about nothing, but they don't understand how math works, and I just wanted to throw a Nerf football at all their temples. But no, let's not focus on that. Instead, let's answer this question. How many points did the Rangers get, Tom? I would say that the Rangers will improve um, marginally. I would say. So, if you were to shift some of those above or below ninety. Oh, below ninety. Well, below ninety. I would say there'll be around like eighty-four points. So you think? Well, for example, the Flyers last year finished with eighty-two. And they were 37, 37, and 8. Do you think that's a reasonable expectation? I think I think the Rangers will end up w- around the same amount of points in the sense that they'll win a couple more games, but they're not going to have as many overtime uh, points like sort of boosting things. So 
I'm really just sort of shifting like how they're how they're gonna play. Like I think yeah, so. that it's gonna be a lot more, you know, one sided. Whether they're either gonna score a lot of goals and win, or they're gonna give up a lot of goals and lose. And it just seems the way that the the team is built. You know what I I can't disagree with you. And one of the reasons I can is because there's so there're gonna be so many babies on this team. We have no idea what these kids are gonna do, which makes a question like this fun but tricky because like. There's a chance this team has two rookie defensemen on it, and it has Kravstov and Kako on it, in addition to Hedl and all the other guys who are, like, 21 and under. It's a lot of guys who are, you know, too young to drink who, who are going to have, you know, a lot of responsibility. It's it's going to make it fun, but it's going to be very interesting. Uh, to look at, you know, what, you know, some of the best teams in the East did last season, the Blue Jackets, you know, finished eighth, and they had 98 points. It's not easy to get in the playoffs in the East, Tom. Uh, especially because Tampa Bay isn't going away. Boston's not going to go away. And even though they're both both those teams are in different divisions, and you know, I feel like everyone will agree the Islanders will be a little worse. I think the Penguins will be a little bit worse. Uh, Carolina, I think, might slip a little bit, but I still think they're a playoff team. And then I think the Devils are going to climb up a lot from where they were last season at if for no other reason, Tom, because Taylor Hall won't be hurt all year. And they also added P.K. Subban and a couple other guys. So, like you, I'm not sure the Rangers make it to the playoffs. I think their best hope is a wild card spot. And even then, I think that's a stretch right now. Yeah, I mean, like, it's it's tough to ballpark because, yes, the talent is there. But the other question that I'll have is, what's the goaltending going to be like? And this is not like, you know, questioning Henrik Lundqvist. But we expect that... We might see some more of uh, Gorgiev. We might see more. We're going to see more of, um, you know, Igor. Um, and it's going to be that balance of rotation because you want to evaluate what you have because, yeah. you know, Hank's not going to be around for a whole lot longer. And it's sort of something that you want to figure out now. And I think that can lead to some games where you might have someone steal a game and pitch a shutout, but you could also have some games where, you know, they give up four or five goals, and um, it, that's what just makes it so hard to ballpark. Tom, you ever see the movie Rounders? I have not, but I uh, I want to see it because, like, I've seen so many gifts and stuff shared of it. Are you familiar um, with Teddy KGB? I am, and I love John Malkovich. That's so all it's I need to know. Th- the fact that I haven't seen that movie yet, like, I'm... I'm gonna try to watch it by next week. Like, pay uh, him, pay the man his money. money. Um, our next question is from Alex Khalifa. Are you surprised that Chris Drury is in such high demand? We kind of, we kind of touched on this on the flagship, right, Tom? Um, yeah. Like, given what is, and I feel like you hit the nail on the head on the flagship. Given his reputation with Team USA and the reputation he had as a player, it's not really that surprising. Like, he's a guy who's been part of. You know, I think a lot of teams think the Rangers did a great job with this rebuild, and they know that Drury played a role in it. And, you know, they know that he's a young executive in the league, and, you know, there's a lot of potential there. He's very well liked. Uh, Team USA was great at the last World. So, yeah, like, I'm, I think a lot of Rangers fans might say, look at the shit show that Hartford is, and be surprised there. But I think. Not everyone focuses on that. They focus more on the fact that, you know, the bigger picture for the Rangers is honestly, you know, what's going on with, you know, the big club. And there's also the whole point of, you know, Drury inherited a lot of the mess in terms of Hartford with, and I think, you know, to some extent, I feel like he's put some good pieces in place to turn things around there. Of course, that's definitely something we have to wait and see. That, That cake is still in the oven, Tom. It's more of a more of a sloppy pudding than a cake right now. Um, our next question from Matthias Petrzynski. Uh, Matthias Petrzynski. Matthias, I apologize. There's no way I said your name correctly. Uh, hey, guys. When will Joe stop making babies and come back? Also, if Kako doesn't become at least a point-per-game player, will you, be disapp- will you be disappointed? I will be. So, I'm guessing he means down the road, like at his peak, if you an 80-point guy. Uh, the answer of when will Joe stop making babies and come back? Uh, supposedly, he almost came back for this week's show, but he ran out of time today. Because apparently, newborn babies don't like to sleep when they're supposed to. Uh, so he wasn't able to do it this week. But 
we might have him on next week, and I probably will drag Tom back on the show anyway. Because frankly, now just Tom is just my crutch. Now I can't, I can't walk without my Tom. Um, Tom, will you be sad if Capo Caco never becomes an eighty-point player? I won't. And I was having this conversation actually with my brother the other day. Um, we were coming back from your brother, who, sh- if he listens to this podcast, knows that now knows that you talk shit about him. Oh, I talk sh- I talk shit about him to his face, and talk I you know mad shit. Yeah, and it's you know he he's cool with it. Um, but we were you having hear that? this not Tom, you son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, but we we're having this also, son of a bitch. I don't mean that. Nah, it's it's cool, and uh, no offense taken. Um, we we're having this conversation because he's sort of trying to understand, uh, you know, like what's you know Kako gonna do in his first year, and um, we were sort of looking back to like. Um, like when guys like Crosby and Ovechkin entered the league and I said um, well Kako is a very talented player he's not at that level and then I sort of like brought things down a little bit and then like when Austin Matthews entered the league you know um, you know he was like a, a rung underneath and then you had you know guys like Eichel and Heischer and um, I think that Kako is a guy that over the life of his career I'd be happy if he was a 70 to 75 point player. Obviously, you're going to have years where he can be more than that, but I don't think he's ever going to be that 90, 100 point player um, that, you know, some people, I think they just get this idea of, oh, top two pick, really good um, as a teenager playing against men. It's just, I think sometimes we don't realize that there are really like a finite amount of these super skilled players some of which i think will come out of this upcoming draft um but yeah like kako i think is going to be great but i think we just need to temper our expectations of what that looks like and you know obviously you know he's got a whole church behind him so maybe those prayers can uh you know boost his potential i want him to break the souls of goaltenders around the league like Bane broke the Batman over his knee. That's what I want. One by one. I just want a, just a, a, a back-snapping rampage of finished glory. Alright, next question, Tom. Um, and, our, and this is the one we're going to wrap up on, buddy. From Josh Sarkin. Why is the entire league on standstill when it comes to RFAs, Tom? Josh Sarkin. It's a good question. Again, um, Josh Sarkin, your surname makes you sound like a, a supervillain. I'm sure you're a lovely person, but uh, and you seem sh- you seem like a delight on Twitter. Um, and your Twitter profile is very sweet. Your profile picture very sweet, but still, the last name wouldn't be surprised if you're some sort of a supervillain in the future. Keep an eye out for that. Yeah, a supervillain, just like Bane. Oh, uh, Tom. I like. Um, yeah, so, like, I think the reason we're seeing this... The Batman. Is be Yes, the Batman. Um, <laughs> I think it's Willie Nylander, to be honest, because he sort of had the... I think it's Willie Nylander and the buyout. I mean, I'm sorry, and the uh, and the lockout that might be looming. Well, yeah, like I think guys it's... Guys want to get paid, and they want guaranteed money, and teams are being extra careful because of Nylander, which ironically is adding only more fuckery to everything. Yeah, I think it's twofold. The buyout is a, is a good point that you bring up. The lockout, um, I meant. Now I got you saying Oh, the that. lockout. Wow. So the lockout. Lockout. L-O-C. Yeah, yeah. yeah lockout. Um, we know what words are. We know what hockey is. Things, words, numbers, shapes, objects, you know, it's all like, you shapes know... Kinder- are mostly imaginary, I find. It's like kindergarten all over again. Um, but yeah, the lockout is an interesting point and I... A reason I bring up Nylander is, and this is not to slight him in, in, in any way, because I really like him as a player, but he's not what you would call like an elite player. He's not a, a top 10 player, but he was able to take the Toronto Maple Leafs up into the wire. He was willing to sit out the entire season, and he made them he blink. He broke them. He broke them. Yeah. Bane broke the Batman. And, you know, it was sort of a situation where the front office sort of went to uh, Kyle Dubas and said, pay the man his money. Pay that man. 
and uh, so you have all of these high-profile RFAs um, who have, you know, had 90-plus point seasons, who have the potential to be um, the best players on their team, you know. They're looking, you know, the Braden Points, the, the Mika Rantanens, uh, you know, Mitch Marners. Yeah, this list you have, it's a fat crazy. list. It is a fat goddamn list, Tom. Like, let's, let's just go, let's start, I'll just pull it up really quick. We don't have to... We don't have to mention every guy, but just just give me a verbal reaction to each name here. I'll give you a verbal reaction too. Mitch Marner. Oh God, he's gonna get money. Braden Point. Jesus Christ, Tom, you're not giving me anything. He's gonna get paid. Braden Point, 41 goals, 51 assists. Nico Rantanen, 22. Boom. Boom. He's gonna get paid. 87 points. He's a baby. Matthew Kachuk. Kaching. 34 goals, 43 assists, 21 years old. You think he's going to get a bridge deal? I don't think he's getting a bridge deal. Kyle Connor. Yeah, he's a guy on Winnipeg that I think people are kind of sleeping on. Like, Yeah, he, they're sleeping on him for sure. And another guy people are sleeping on is Zach Wierenski. You want to talk about a guy who's yeah, getting paid. Exactly. And CPJ has no excuses not to give him money. They don't pay anyone anymore. They got to pay him. That's a good point. Patrick Laine? He's the interesting one where, like, you can see also, why Brock he Besser. wouldn't want to take one. Oh, yeah, Besser's another interesting one. I think uh, he's looking for, like, $7 million, which, you and know. And Travis Konetsky kind of rounds out that, that top group. Um, yeah. And there's Colin White and Kevin Fiala. Of course, there's that Charlie McAvoy kid. I think he's okay. Uh, D'Angelo, Anthony Pavillier, Adrian Kempe. Like, like, the list goes on and on. Like, yeah, it's a long list, and I guess the reason to answer his question... Um, Provorov, too. Good God, I forgot about Provorov altogether. Yeah, it's it's just mind-boggling like how many names are out there, yeah. and all they, of them are seeing that... Paid. Exactly, and they're not going to sell themselves short, and they're not going to bend to the will of their team um, because they have no reason to. I think we're seeing that there are these young players that... And I guess, I guess, in the case of Miko Rantanen, you look at the deal that Nathan McKinnon signed, and like, if you ask Nathan McKinnon, he's probably, you know, kicking himself. Like, man, I signed that great of a deal um, for that length that you know I've had these amazing seasons, and I'm not going to be able to test the market for a number of years. I know. Um, so it's, and it's again like. These players yeah, are not stupid. No, no one wants to be that... The, like, everyone wants to play like Nathan McKinnon. No one wants to be the next guy making Nathan McKinnon money when you could be making, you know, Willie Nylander money right now. Or, or like, or just... Like, throw out any name. Like, even the deal Austin Matthews signed, even though he didn't get the term everyone thought he would get. Like, mm -hmm. these guys want to get paid, and frankly, this is what they're worth. The thing is... The cap didn't increase as much as we thought it would, Tom. And, of course, that is a big factor here we should also mention, right? And so these teams are all... Their belts are a little tighter than they want them to be. And that just makes all this that much more interesting. But, you know, when that guy like Austin Matthews comes away with, you know, a salary of... What is he making? I think it was... I'm just checking cap funding right now. Like, nearly $16 million. 15.9 and a cap hit of 11.634, like, a guy like Mitch Marner, who's on his team and on his line, takes notice, Tom. <laughs> he says, I would also like to make $11.6 million a year, thank you very much. Well, yeah, I mean, just like any of us, you know, would like to make, you know, as much money as we can, um, but, like, at a point, like, I feel like at a certain level, you hurt yourself in negotiation when you're being unreasonable, like... Obviously, a team wants to get you as cheap as you are, but if you're just overshooting your value, like you're hurting your ability. Like if you're just like, you know what, I really want this. A bit, but I don't yeah. blame any of these players for saying, "Listen, I'm not just going to sign the first offer through the door, or even the fifth offer through the door," because a lot of these guys are saying, "I can sign for eight years right now, and sign the." this lucrative contract, especially if you're 21, if you're 21 or 22 and you find a way to negotiate you know, a Connor McDavid-esque deal, and you get locked up, then guess what, Tom? You're going to be 28 or 29 when that deal's done, and you're going to hit another payday, Tom. Well, exactly. You're going to hit another 
giant contract payday. And that's what all these guys are thinking about now, especially when you have to worry about a league that has a lockout every couple of years. And I would say that the most interesting thing that we, um, I'm just realizing this now that we didn't bring it up, is a lot of the reason why that they're in the rut that they're in is that a lot of these players are wanting to sign these shorter you know deals these these sebastian aho like deals that yeah. take them right to free agency because like you right said to the brink and then they get paid because if you're 26 years old you're 25 years old right um you know you're or you know 25 turning 26 and like you're up just on the brim of it yeah. you have all of the leverage whereas if you're you know 29 30 you're not going to be in as much a position to command that that money that you'd like. I mean, we look at Panera and what he just signed for. If I'm one of those young players and I have my whole career ahead of me, um, I'm going to put myself in a position to, you know, get that bread. Yeah, not to mention there's also the cases like, I mean, this is just a super specific case, but there's a guy like Jesse Pugliarvi who, Mm -hmm. you know, is just sitting there saying like, I'm not going to, you know, there are guys who reach that point where like, I'm in demand, but I'm not going to play with a team that drafted me. And I feel like because there's things like that, because of what happened with William William Nylander, and because teams are aware that, you know, a lot of these teams might be listening to offers if they feel like they can't get these contracts signed. But, like, for instance, like, Tom, if you're Chevy, if you're Shevel Dayoff, what the hell do you give Line after the year he had last year? Like, that's not an easy thing to answer. Yeah, that's the tough part because, like, if I'm line A, I'm pushing for a bridge deal because I wouldn't want to uh, sell myself short after a um, a down year. Yeah, 44 goals to then to 30 goals. A drop mm-hmm. in 20 points, and, you know, that could cost him so much money. But also, this might be an opportunity for Shevel Dayoff to say, oh, hold on, kid, maybe we bring you in on a long-term deal, but just at a lower price than you think you're worth right now, because I can point to the fact that you had 50 points instead of 70 points. And, you know, that's what we're talking about. Each of these teams are trying to find a way to, you know, get guys at the most reasonable cost. Like, no one's trying to screw over a player, but they're trying to help the team before they help the player because that's their job as the general manager and like there's no greater example than this stalemate between Toronto and Mitch Marner when everyone in the league wants Mitch Marner and there's been talk about what's going to happen with Mitch Marner forever and like even today I know on NHL.com there is something about like oh the two camps are coming closer but it's gotten to the point for me where if I read that my eyes glaze over Tom because I, I just just make it happen already it's like the William Nylander situation, and everyone knew this was going to happen, yet here we are. And, you know, we ended up talking for like 10 minutes on this question, but it is a big deal that, you know, it's this show's going to go up in the middle of the week here, Tom. It'll be August 14th when the show is out and in our listeners' earbuds. And all these guys aren't signed. It's crazy. And they're just hanging around. Just hanging around. Watching Rounders, watching Batman and the Bane. Binging Stranger Things. Binging Stranger Things. I liked. I did binge Stranger Things already. I want to rewatch season uh, three. Um, I. Uh, it was funny. I was. Um, I was at the diner on um, Saturday um, with my brother and um, uh, his friend and his two younger brothers, and um, I like get the check and I'm like paying and like the waitress comes over to me and she's like you know um some you know uh, an uh, older lady and she's like you know I, I gotta ask you like you know um you know one of these w- looks like you but are the rest of these your sons like i thought i heard one of them <laughs> say like you know thanks dad and i said no 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 i said this oaf right here that's my brother the rest they're just his friend she's like oh i thought so like you looked a little young for you know this many children and i said yes <laughs> So it's like a Steve Harrington like moment, like you know, just having this you know gaggle of of children. Uh, wow. It's funny. If only I could have Steve Harrington's hair. I think that's I think that's gonna wrap us up this week, Tom. I, I wanted to ask you one fun one to uh, to wrap up. What's your favorite non hockey sports movie? Oh man, favorite non hockey sports movie. My answer might be cheesy. It's my answer is Moneyball. 
so like it's tough there's so many good ones because like i love the rocky movies um i like there's, what i like what is what's drago rocky is that rocky four rocky four yeah that's my favorite um, rocky and like, i don't have, the, i don't mind rocky three where he fights mr t but rocky mm-hmm. four is like communism and fucking i will break you yeah, that's that's pretty great and the Creed movies were also great, but you know. Oh what? yeah, I love those. Um, Give me Moneyball. Moneyball is a goddamn masterpiece. Like the one that just comes to mind because, like, I guess if you have to think about it really hard, you know, it's is it really your favorite? But like, yeah. Kingpin just comes to mind like immediately. Oh, that's a great fucking pick. Kingpin's it, a great pick. It's just such a really rewatchable movie, and it's like these actors that you know, Woody Harrelson, you know, Bill Murray, um, you know, it's just like all these. It's just so quotable, and it's like a movie that's generally on like you know one of the movie channels every so often, and like you know if I ever see it on like I just gotta like stop and watch it. It's just that rewatchable. I think my guilty pleasure favorite sports movie is The Replacement, starring Keanu Reeves. That's another good one. I think that might have been the first movie I like. I was thirteen, and I that's the first movie that was PG thirteen that I saw on my own, and I felt like I was moving up in the world <laughs> i was like why is this movie pg-13 i guess because there's drinking and bar fights in it anyway folks uh i think that's going to do it for this week's off the post thank you again for listening and hopefully next week we'll have a little more a little more meat on the bone for us to chew on and maybe we'll have joe back i'll ask him about his baby um i'll ask him why he doesn't love me and why he's mean and uh we'll probably drag tom back on the show and if joe doesn't like it well it's, it's tough shit for joe uh, thanks you can again. pound sand. Yeah, you can pound sand, kick rocks, whatever you got to do. Maybe the, maybe the this time next week, Tom, maybe D'Angelo signed. Maybe Lemieux. Maybe <laughs> we get a little present to talk about. Maybe a little little crumb cake. Maybe a little little something. We'll see. Um, thanks for listening. Be good to each other. And definitely remember sunblock, especially if you're as pale as Tom and I. Take it easy, folks. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.